0: This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! Welcome to a Men in Blazers pod special. Our guest today is a Premier League manager who is at the centre of one of last season's most remarkable and magical great escapes. Back in January, good news, he got his first head coaching job in top-tier British football at Swansea City. Bad news. His new team was anchored to the bottom of the table and taking on water. It was not just his willingness to accept that challenge that makes his story a fascinating one. It's also the path he'd forged to get there. A non-league playing career, a stint as a phys ed teacher, and an assistant coaching odyssey that included stops at Chelsea, PSG, Real Madrid, and Bayern Munich, plus a spell in charge at Derby County. What he was able to do with all that over the second half of last season was nothing less than a superlative modelling of crisis management. And so, with great joy, we welcome to the pod the man whom I believe should have been manager of the season last campaign for taking Swansea from that spot at the bottom of the table, the moon door, up to 15th, ultimately dodging relegation by seven points, a masterstroke of transformational leadership performed without a safety net and under conditions of hysterical pressure. Live from North Carolina, whereas Team Swansea are currently on a US tour Mr. Paul Clement.
1: Uh, Hello, Roger. Thank you for having me on today. Oh,
0: Paul, we are honoured to have you. How is beautiful Raleigh, North Carolina treating you?
1: No, it's been good. We arrived here yesterday and had a session yesterday evening. A very strong session this morning. It's a lovely place. We were in a really nice hotel here and... The training facility, Wake Med Soccer Park is where we've been working. Lovely facility. It's very warm, a lot of humidity.
0: Warm, a lot of humidity, just like Wales in my imagination. But I want to
1: take... Humidity, but no, uh, not warm.
0: (laughs) I want to take you back to Wales. I want to take you back to the beginning of your Swansea tenure, January 3rd this year. You're about to walk into your first press conference, your club, bottom of the table, They've earned just 12 points from 19 games, lost four on the trot, conceding 13 goals in doing so. You're their third manager in as many months. Now, Paul, you'd left a massive job in Germany as Carlo Ancelotti's number two at Bayern Munich to join Swansea. What made you take that job in the first place?
1: Having been a manager once before, it uh, was a good experience. And it was an experience that I wanted again. After I left Derby, there wasn't an opportunity that really interested me. So Carlos said, would you like to come back and work as my assistant at Bayern? And it was an enjoyable time for me. But I always had my mind looking at what was coming up in the Premier League, what was happening. And an opportunity came up at Swansea. So, you know, there was no hesitation for me once I started talking to the club and, you know, that they wanted me to come a brilliant opportunity to join a a really good football club that had a tradition of playing a certain style that I very much believe in and although the club were in a very, very difficult position I believed that I had certain set of skills that could help the team and I believed in the players.
0: But you inherited a squad of players who just shipped three, four and then five goals in games before you arrived. How would you describe the dressing room morale on your first days?
1: They were looking for guidance. They were looking for leadership. And that they were keen to get their heads down and work. And you know they wanted to improve. Clearly, they were a team. You know, struggling in confidence, and it was about trying to get that back as quick as possible. I came in and said, you know, that I believed in my skills as a coach and that I would coach this team and that we wouldn't concede as many goals as what had been going in. And the first home game was against Arsenal and we got beat 4-0 and already people were saying, well, maybe he can't coach his way out of this situation, that four goals have gone in already and you can't just turn a team around in, in one week. It, it takes a bit more time than that. So you know, we worked hard on the training field and then we, uh, we had a fantastic away result at Liverpool and I think... You know, that was a big turning point. You know, when we knew that as a group we could go to a place like that against a team that hadn't lost there in over a year, we're a Swansea team that had never won a game at Anfield. To do that, that can bring a lot of confidence, and it did. It was a great start to, you know, a number of good results.
0: Please God, the first of many Swansea wins at Anfield, Paul. But when you walk into that locker room for the first time, a player once told me Tony Poulis walks into new clubs often in the bottom three, and he just simply says, anyone who thinks you're going to get relegated, the door's open now, leave now. I mean, when you walked into that locker room, you said you sensed a lack of confidence. Is it possible to inject confidence into a football club without results?
1: To get confidence, you can't just click your fingers and you know, say to someone, like, be confident. You have to work at it, and you work at it by getting well prepared. Players like to know what their jobs are. They don't like confusion. They don't want confusion. They need to know very clearly when they go on the field, this is my individual job, this is my job within the team. And that gives confidence.
0: You you talk about confidence. You always seem to have it. At the same time, when you took the job, the media thought you were doomed. I, I, I was really blown away in your first press conference by your message. You said, there are capable and able footballers here. I think I can get them more organised than they have been, give them solidity in the defensive work as a foundation to build on. I mean, I was really impressed by your certainty. Be honest, Paul. Did any part of you at any time feel afraid? Or is step one to survival in the Premier League just making yourself 100% believe? You
1: know, I felt confident from the start. Obviously went for a period in the middle You know, where we only picked up one point in six games. And, you know, I'm only human that, you know, I was affected myself during that period. And you do start to question, have I got enough? Have we got enough? That's the drive to, you know, work harder, work smarter. It's not just me on my own. I have really good staff around me. Good assistants, good backroom staff that are positive, hardworking, got good work ethic, good energy. All those kind of things, you know, feed down to the players.
0: I've got to ask you a football management question. You had no stellar playing career to use as a leadership crutch like a Zidane. I mean, your playing days, they didn't go beyond non-league level with Banstead Athletic and Corinthian Casuals. Your first career was as a PE teacher. Do you ever feel a lack of playing track record hinders you as a manager? Or do you learn to compensate for it?
1: No, I don't think so. You know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, it might have been a different uh, situation. I think there's a lot of managers now that have shown that they can be very successful at the very, very highest level, having not had a professional playing background. I had, you know, over 20 years preparing for this. So, you know, that's a lot of sessions. That's a lot of games. Um, during that period, I worked with a lot of good players, a lot of good managers. I was learning all the time. So that's what provided me with a, a great platform to go on and do it on my own.
0: You are a man who has coach Ronaldo and Gareth Bale at Real Madrid, Zlatan at PSG, Lewandowski, Neuer, Muller at Bayern. Massive players. And for all the experience that you brought at some of the biggest clubs in Europe, their expectation is to win every game and win league titles. Relegation zone, completely different place. I mean, Swansea, the hoop was just to gain enough points to survive. In those moments of doubt, did part of you worry that the skill sets that you would developed in Europe wouldn't transfer?
1: No, I never, never had any doubt about my own skill set, but I am also very aware that the Premier League is a very tough league and anybody can be beaten on any day. With a big club playing at home, if they don't quite hit the high standards and you know, a smaller club can go there and play very well, they can win. So, at any moment, you can get a good result, and at any moment, you know the result can go against you. You just got to keep working and keep working and keep believing that it can be done. We never gave up belief as a group, even during that difficult period. A critical moment was when we lost at Watford. Games were running out. Hull were picking up good results. We played Stoke. It was the first time that I'd ever said to the group that this is a must-win game. I was getting asked every week is this a must-win game? Is this a must-win game? (laughs) And I said, no, because if you don't win the game, there's still time. And at that point, I felt time was running out. And um, I did say it was a must-win game. You know, we managed to get a really good result, 2-0. And that was the catalyst to go on and get three more victories out of the last four games.
0: You talk about working, working, working. I'm fascinated by your methodology. There's a fantastic piece written by a Guardian writer, Stuart James, who talk to you about how you do what you do. And one of the things you highlighted was your effective use of meetings with players. You told him that you use a lot of video clips, but you keep the meeting short and expect the players to reel off three key points without any hesitation before they leave, which means that you, quote, spend a lot of time focusing on the clarity of your own messages. That's a crucial task for any leader, right?
1: I'm not one to waffle on and on and on. I believe in that when you say something, it needs to be important. Therefore, that if you are you know, speaking less, that the messages that you're saying need to grab the attention of everyone that you're, you're speaking to. And I try and do that in team meetings, video meetings, conversations with players, conversations with my own staff. You know, little and often, strong messages to the point. It's been effective.
0: I've got to ask you a a tactical secret now. How do you transform a team from having the worst defensive record in the Premier League? I think they leaked 44 goals in the first half of the season. You transform them into one that just conceded 25 over the course of the next 18 games, despite playing away at Chelsea, Manchester City, Liverpool and Manchester United. How do you do it?
1: I still would have liked to have conceded less than we did. See, the second half total was a lot better than the first. You know, we tried to get a very collective idea to our defending that it started with the front players and ended with the goalkeeper. And with the attacking, it was the opposite. We start attacking with our goalkeeper, and we finish our attacks with our forwards. Lots of use of praise and encouragement of when the players are doing things well, and uh, there was no more complicated than that.
0: You're a man who believes small details have an outsized impact. You instituted rules and make sure players keep the training ground tidy, put their own boots and bottles away, leave for training sessions at the same time, don't wear hats in restaurants. Can you talk about how small changes to a team's culture can transform it?
1: Those kind of things are normal for me. I came from a background where I was a teacher and discipline for me is important. I wouldn't say that I have lots and lots of rules I like to talk to the players more about standards than rules. These are the standards. This is what it is to be a professional. And I want the players to be responsible and also to show respect for each other and people that are working with them, you know, our backroom staff. So simple things like tidying up your own kit and your boots. And obviously I think I was always taught that when you sat and had your meal that you shouldn't wear a hat, so we we don't do that. And... there's certain restrictions on mobile phones, but the most important rule for me is about punctuality. It's important to be on time. So I would say that's the strictest thing that I'm on. You know, the players respect that and they understand why it's important.
0: You talk a lot about the word respect. Do you see a a direct line between respect and a culture of respect and leadership, accountability and responsibility?
1: I always think of it as, You know, how would I like to be treated if I was in players' shoes? I'd want to be told when I was, you know, not doing what was expected, but I'd also want to be praised for when I was doing something well. It works both ways. I try and give it to my players. And as a result of that, I I expect it back in return.
0: Retrospectively, it all came together so beautifully. And you sound so calm in the retelling, Paul. But what was your biggest surprise learning from the entire experience?
1: I had no Premier League experience as a as a head coach. I had experience of, you know, being an assistant, but it's given me confidence that I can uh, work at this level and that I went into a very difficult situation and you know I never had any question marks about myself, but I know around there were a lot of question marks. Uh, this was a bizarre appointment and I was lucky to get the job and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. You're always going to get those kind of comments and you know that's also something that I've learned that part and parcel of being in kind of job I am is that you're going to get both praise and criticism. Some is justified and some is not. And you have to learn to deal with that.
0: I mean, you were largely considered doomed when you took the job, but you went on to ensure Premier League survival with a game to spare after a 2-0 win over Sunderland and uh, the ensuing whole loss. At the final whistle, Paul, against Sunderland, you're on the (coughs) sideline. Can you describe your feelings?
1: I think I I had a more ecstatic feeling the week before when we beat Everton 1-0 at home. That's when the news came in that Hull had been beaten at home by Sunderland. A surprise result, you'd have to say. We played in the later kick-off against Everton. Everton, a good side, good players. Fantastic side. Best striker in the league that that season in Lukaku in terms of goals scored. I mean, at that point, anyway, I know Kane went on and got more in the end. Yeah. You know, a tense affair, massive atmosphere in the stadium. And when we won that game, we came out of the relegation zone at a crucial period. And the belief in the dressing room and the feeling in the dressing room is that we can go on and do this now. Uh, We went and did the job at Sunderland. But then it was about waiting to see what happened the next day when Crystal Palace played Hull. I mean, what a brilliant feeling when, you know, we secured the Premier League status with one game to go. I was sitting at home. I was just on my own and it came in and, well, it was a really good feeling.
0: You are a rare manager from an English perspective because you win things. You've won the Premier League as an assistant to Ancelotti at Chelsea. You've won the Champions League with Real Madrid. You've won Ligue 1 with PSG. How did this Staving off relegation with Swansea, how did it compare?
1: All the other teams that I've been involved with and you know, the trophies that I've been involved with were brilliant things, particularly the Champions League against Atletico Madrid, winning with Real Madrid, the 10th in their history. It was a wonderful moment. But when you're in charge and you know, you're calling the shots and all the responsibility falls onto you, there's no better feeling than being successful in that situation. So it was by far my greatest achievement was to keep Swansea in the league.
0: You mentioned the Everton game, Paul. I've got got to confess, I'm an Everton fan, so I remember it rather differently than you do. But I do remember a moment. I think Alfie Mawson cleared the ball off the line in the dying minutes of that game. And the broadcast cameras closed in on one Swansea fan, a woman who was moved close to tears, By that clearance, we interviewed her afterwards. Her name is Shawna Daffid. And she described her feelings to us thusly. She said, Swansea have completely changed the city over the last few years, thanks to all the investment that has come in because of the club. She said, you've got local businesses, you've got schools that are all affected by the league. And the work in the city goes on after the 90 minutes. You feel the club across the entire town. As a manager, do you feel a sense of that? What the club means to the entire area? What staving off relegation means to the entire area?
1: Yes, I, I do. But at times, I also have to try and block that out because the focus for me needs to be on the players, on the team. And if I think too much about the other things, the responsibility becomes, can become overwhelming. I'm very much aware of it, of course, um, how important the, the team is to the city. And in the end, I'm, ju- I'm just so pleased that everyone was happy.
0: Talking about happiness, the season before, you'd been fired as manager by Derby County in the championship. They were fifth in the table, only five points behind the league leaders at the time. With this Swansea accomplishment, this Swansea achievement, did you personally experience a sense of, of professional vindication?
1: Not really. My, my, my feeling um, at the time that I was removed from my uh, position at Derby was that they'd made a mistake. I still feel that now. But at the same time, looking back on that whole experience, I think the fit between me and that club was, for some reason, not quite right. And the fit that I have here at Swansea, it's a much better fit for me. And I think it's a, much, it's a good fit also for the club.
0: The club and you were able to take a deep Deep breath when you stave off relegation. How long does that deep breath last before you have to start worrying again and start thinking about 40 points, 40 points, 40 points?
1: No, not long, and I've learned that in football as well. Whether I've been at some of the biggest clubs in Europe, winning trophies, the drive to be successful and win things is long and arduous. The celebrations are euphoric, but they're very short-lasting. You know, within a couple of days, you're looking at rebuilding and moving forward and more successful. And it's the same situation here at Swansea when we were safe and everyone knew that we were going to be OK. We moved on and we got that final result against West Brom that put us up a couple more places, which is very important for the club financially. And it also gave us momentum coming into, into this season. But yeah, the focus then switches very quickly about, you know, assessing the squad who's leaving, who's coming, and you know, looking to start the season strongly.
0: There's lots of angst right now revolving around Gilfie and his future with the team. He was involved in 48.9% of your 45 Premier League goals last season. As a manager, how do you experience that uncertainty this close to the start of the season with a player so crucial? It's
1: not an ideal situation, but it's also part of the profession. And I hope in the very near future that there's a, you know, an outcome that's positive for all involved. It's not just about taking everything. It's about you know, what's best for both parties. And you know, the situation at the moment is that you know, Gilfie's not with the team. He decided to stay back in Swansea and to sort out his immediate future. But the focus for me has to be on the players that are here and you know, working with the owners and our chairman at potential you know, targets to come in and strengthen the squad moving moving on. Do
0: you sleep well, Paul?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Not, that's never really been a problem for me. I, I find that, I, you know, I work, I work hard and normally pretty exhausted by the end of the day. There are always some nights when you know, I'm more restless than others. Depends on the game coming up. And Always find it more difficult after we've you know, not played well or, or lost. Uh, mind ticking over. About you know how I can improve the team and make them better, but in general, not too bad.
0: Talking about dreams, survival was last season's goal. What's this season's?
1: The first has to be not to be involved in a relegation battle like last season. I have I haven't really set any goals beyond that. I think that's the first thing: get off to a good start. You know, first five six games of the season, see where we are at that point, and then move forward.
0: You're very modest. Very pragmatic, very rational man. I've got to say, your tenure at Swansea, it was a phenomenal achievement watching you. It was one that showed that belief, confidence, dedication, planning, tenacity really can pay off. What's a life lesson that you learned that we could all benefit from?
1: From my own point of view, I had a dream and an ambition to manage a team at this level of football. It was a long journey for... You know, me to get to this point, when I think back to starting my coaching qualifications when I was 22 years old, I got the job as a manager in the Premier League when I was 44. So, you know, for me, that's 22 years rafting away of experiencing different things. And, you know, now that I'm here, I feel like I'm just getting started. And now the, the, the really hard work starts.
0: Paul, it paid off and then some, because to watch what you did last season with Swansea it was to watch a miracle worker in action all of us here at Men in Blazers wish you your club and your fans a season of success thanks for joining us
1: that's a pleasure anytime thank you very much Roger
0: courage